Danny Danko come to show you how it goes. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on High Times Radio, presented by High Times Magazine. Boom, bang! All right, welcome to episode number 102 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. What's up, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you nailed it. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. All right. Well, yeah. thank you to uh, Jacques and Winstrong, of course, for the for the for the tune. And I bet you guys thought that you wouldn't hear from us again. <laughs> yeah, they were getting worried. Yeah, but took we're back. Little, that's right. Yeah, we took a little bit of time off. We had a cannabis cup. We did. That's yeah. right. In Michigan, and we still make a, a magazine too, right. which is exciting. Yeah, we well, should talk a little bit actually about the the issues because they're pretty they're pretty good. Yeah. If Absolutely. I do say so myself. Well, you're the editor-in-chief, so, right. so don't take opinion. my word for anything. <laughs> well, right now we have the November issue on newsstands, and it's our first ever Women of Weed issue. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, with our friend Corey on the cover, which is awesome. Yeah, it's a yeah. great-looking cover, and it's a really cool issue. Um, not only does it have a list of the 100 women who are really influencing the cannabis world right now, but it also has a little history of uh, women who have been involved in this company, in this magazine, which sort of has uh, helped shape the industry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, an article that I brought in there uh, with some female farmers, uh, women growers who uh, are creating craft cannabis. Yeah, who would you, um, you speak to for that one? I had Elena from Greenfire. Um, I had Ellen, uh, uh, a friend from Boston, Ellen Brown, and... Uh, and Ms. Jill, Ms. who's Jill, been on yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. So uh, each one of them, uh, three different stories of, uh, you know, being a woman in a somewhat male-dominated environment, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, cannabis growing in general in the industry and in the community. But, uh, yeah, the article. And there's a list of 100, uh, you know, most influential or most important uh, women in the biz. Uh, so, Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool issue. Um, it's got some great grow info in there, but it also kind of uh, focuses on um, the women who are really making this industry um, bigger and better than it's ever been before. So it was really a, a treat to work on that one. It's very cool that we got to to do that. And then uh, that one is on stands now, so you could pick that up. But right on the heels is the December issue, which uh, comes out October 2nd. And um, we we do a, a lengthy preview every year on this show of that because the December issue features your top ten strains of the year. That's right. Uh, that's right. That's the cover article. Um, and that was uh, a lot of fun to put together. Um, you know, just what type of uh, strains are out there this this year, uh, making a lot of noise in different competitions. And Well, you know, for people who maybe don't uh, follow so closely, why don't, why don't you explain a little bit how exactly you, you – you come to pick these strains because you know you're, you're not just picking the, the 10 best strains that you had or the best strains in the world because it, it, it's an annual feature right right it's it's basically meant to sort of highlight what what strains have been popular that you know particular year uh for different reasons so some have won cannabis cups um some have uh you know won in the flower category some have won as a concentrate and and, you know, sometimes you just see strains coming from a mile away, like a Girl Scout cookies or, you know, gelato or, or whatever it might be, Skittles. You just know, um, you know, if you're, you know, kind of at the events and, and doing the thing, you, 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 you sense what the newer sort of uh, strains are on the marketplace and, and what's out there. Uh, 
and you know uh, the seed breeders are sharing their uh, jars with you and you know you're trying this and that from all different parts of the world uh, and you know the best of the best so the cream rises to the top you know certain ones uh, you know there's there's a few in here you know that we sort of discovered in Holland and the few that were you know winners in uh, California um, actually our strain of the strain of the fortnight later on in the show will be one of these as, as well uh, which was a winner of our world cup which was you know if you win the cannabis cup then you compete in our world cannabis cup and this was one of the winners so yeah yeah that's you know that's pretty much how the so it's different than like our strongest strains feature, which is just basically about the numbers from lab testing. This is much more just about what's hot right now yeah, out there, flavors, what you enjoy, you know, the flavor. It's about yeah. terpene profiles. It's really, um, you know, rather than having a lab decide, it's really just hu- a human being deciding, you know, what, what tastes great, what smells great, what what's new and, and exciting and interesting and yeah. So that's the that's the big feature for December. But um, we also we have another Ed Rosenthal um, excerpt. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk a little. He does talk a little about drying and curing. Yeah, and some controversial stuff, of course, because he's talking about you know not using glass jars for yeah, curing. Yeah. So let's he, get he into that a that little on bit. Show and it, what, where do you stand on on that issue? Because basically, <sighs> correct me if I'm wrong. Ed is saying that you don't really need. Uh, the glass jars to cure. You could put them in paper bags or just in a room that's set to the right uh, temperature and humidity. Is that right? Um, that's what he's saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, I respectfully disagree. I mean, I like glass jars as long as... I mean, you know, I think he's erring on the side of caution and, and saying, you know, sometimes people are putting uh, buds that are too wet into a jar and Which risking... Could create... Right, right, and I'm, and yeah, and I think it, you know, it's a fermentation process, right? So you're, you're sort of, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get as close to that line as possible without crossing it. As far as, you know, you're using the chemical processes that happen within that jar um, to cure the the cannabis, but but at the same time, you know, you are aging it. You know, you're you're using. You know, there's things happening there. So yeah, I mean, t- of course, you know. I, I also we, – we disagree on the 24-hour light thing. You know, he says you can veg under 24 hours of light. Of course you can, but I don't recommend it. I think plants need that, you know, two, three, four hours of darkness uh, to recover from all the light that they're taking in, and that's when they do their growth. So, you know, we we you, there's not one way to grow and right. not one way to harvest and not one way. But, it's and I, and trial it's an and error a little exactly. bit, right? you got to figure out what works for you. Right. And High Times provides, you know, different information. Absolutely. And what you do, you know, in a 4x4 four four tent grow and what you do in a big, huge warehouse are two very different things. Right. You know, the drying and curing process uh, is totally different when you're dealing with, you know, pounds and pounds instead of ounces and ounces so sure uh you know there's there's a way for everyone and it's interesting just to consider um different you know opinions that are out there and and come up with your own yeah i agree it was interesting just for me like reviewing the issue and going through all the pieces to read his uh excerpt because it is it is vastly different in some ways from the advice that we've given out not only in the magazine but on this show Mm -hmm. but again it doesn't make it invalid. It just makes it different. And again, we like to encourage people to try different techniques and find out what works for them. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, the guide to drying and curing by Ed Rosenthal is in this issue. We also have, um, I think, a really interesting piece that kind of talks about 
the oil cartridges and vape pen scene and how uh, that is a sustainability problem. So what uh, certain companies are doing to, to make that a little more um, eco-friendly, recycling programs, etc. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's interesting, too. And, and I like this uh, head shop article, too. It's got a history of head shops, including uh, Buried Treasures, my uh, hometown shop in Boston. Yeah, 10 legendary head shops. These have all been around for 30-plus years and uh, are still thriving. And mm-hmm. uh, they've made it through the the prohibition era, and some of them that are in legal states are now in um in a in a legal era, and it's really interesting to see them still being successful. And yeah. then finally, we have a guide uh, to a legal guide to traveling with pot, wow. and that kind of that comes from uh, some attorneys who uh, put together this guide that just kind of gives you the uh, the do's and don'ts of traveling with pot. Some of it's a little. Uh, complex because you have the state laws and then federal laws and then you have the TSA and you have like all of these agencies. So it's just sort of a a basic guide what you need to know if you're traveling with pot, whether you're trying to go by plane or by by car. So interesting Interesting. stuff there. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the the December issue and we encourage you to, to get that. But then uh, we also have some events or had some events, right? You just – you came back from Michigan recently. That's right. Michigan Cannabis Cup, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Nas performed. Uh, I got to do the award show there with uh, our friends, uh, our High Times team. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a great event. No, there was a – there was an insane clown posse that showed up too, right? Yes. And that was my first, uh, first time seeing that live show, which was – Quite an eye opener. Very interesting. Uh, they they a, use some some fago a in lot the show, of soda. right? Yes, a lot of fago soda was thrown and shot and uh, propelled uh, across. Uh, did did it, you get doused? I personally did not. I mean, I was far enough back. I thought I was far enough back, and then you know, certain <laughs> people in the crowd were were picking up bottles and and, and throwing them further back. So. Uh, even the area we thought would, would have been safe was oh, so like the people on the stage douse the people in the front row, and then it, it goes back there, in no, waves beyond, from there, way beyond the front row. It was yeah, it was the whole anyone who was anywhere near the the, the stage at all, uh, ten, fifteen, twenty rows. Uh, were all doused in soda and very happily. <laughs> <laughs> That's very the thing. Yeah, they doused. love it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. It's get diet it. soda, so it's less oh. sticky too. So it's easier to clean up. Uh, but this, you know, they thoughtful. have a lot of fun. It's family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really whoop whoop. It's uh, you know. Did they convert you? Are you like a a juggalo? I, I think saying, they call I, it. I, I would not call call myself a juggalo because I haven't been to enough uh, shows or anything. But I would love to go to a gathering. I'd love to uh, participate in what they got going on and and check it out and see because uh, it's really interesting. Very inclusive. Very uh, interesting culture that they have, and they created it out of thin air. You know what I mean? Fully independent. And I think, uh, you know, that's very interesting to me. It's very uh, it's exciting to be able to create something out of nothing, you know, a whole culture, a whole subculture. And not for nothing, but the FBI was investigating them as a gang. So if, if you're, you know, pissing off the authorities <laughs> and making music and splashing soda and stuff, there's there's a lot to there's a lot for me to like there. Yeah, they did a little march on Washington to to fight right. that gang designation. That was pretty cool. March and of the Juggalos. March of the Juggalos, yeah. And I have to say, and maybe they wouldn't want me saying this, but um, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope uh, have been to the High Times offices. Mm-hmm. I've met them. They're That's very right. nice people. Yeah. You know, they're good guys. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They support High Times. They, I mean, they're, they support weed for sure. Everyone in the crowd 
you know every juggalo i've ever met loves cannabis and uh and a lot of other stuff too flies the flag proudly and all Mm -hmm. that and yeah well there's drug bridge of course (laughs) at the at the gathering which i've heard all about we should do our show live from drug (laughs) bridge at the gathering oh man i think that would be a scene let's make that happen yeah so anyway michigan was good the weed was good yeah anything stand out uh the mac strain called mac uh mac it's uh miracle alien cookies uh speaking of like that whole gmo kind of mothball to me it's that's the 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 smell like you know and that's why i think people either love it or hate it because um, it's got that weird kind of mothball-y chemically kind of chemical smell to it and you know it reminds people of of kind of a weird you know almost garlicky like a, a weird really spicy garlic kind of thing and um yeah mac miracle alien cookies it took a few awards uh but even just around the around the show it was really popular very cool yeah. all right and uh if you are interested in uh, in checking out future events for high times you could go to cannabiscup.com uh, but Michigan was the last big event that we uh, we just did. Dan just got home from. Yeah. You know what? Caesar told me a pack of those seeds sold for like $17,000. Of the Mac? Yeah. Like the first pack or something like the – something exclusive. Pack of Mac? A pack of Mac. 17000 Yeah. Wow. Which is probably the most I've ever heard for like, you know, a package of cannabis seeds. But hey, you know. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, um, why don't we – flip over to Danko Tracker real quick and uh, take a look at where you're going to be. You know, of course, you have this book out. Yes. And uh, that's exciting. Out. Yeah. Uh, September 1st was the launch date. I think we've talked about it on the show a little bit, but the book is out. <laughs> might have mentioned it. We might have mentioned <laughs> it. Well, anyways, I worked on it for a while. It's a beginner grow book. It's kind of relevant to the f- subject matter uh, that we talk about on the show. So I figure maybe some of my listeners might be some interest might be yeah might yeah. be interested in picking up my book for and they sure. can pick it up signed if they'd like really yeah how would on, they do that they go to ebay for a signed copy just uh if you buy it on ebay uh from me uh dan semi on ebay or just search for it on ebay you'll see me there um and dan, just met dan what semi s-e-m-y dan that was your graffiti tag right right yeah and so that uh, and there, you you can just search it on eBay. You'll see me there, and you can buy it there. Um, just make sure to mention in your notes if you want it signed to a particular name, uh, you know, to your name, like personalized. So you can do that on eBay. It's also on Amazon, of course. Um, the best way to get it from Amazon is through my social media. So if you go to my Instagram or my Facebook or my Twitter, um, there's links there uh, that are like Amazon's. They're special Danko links, you know what I mean? So you click on that, that'll take you to Amazon and you can buy it there. Uh, even better, you can leave me a review. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm I'm actually just about to do that. Maybe drop you somewhere between three and four stars <laughs> uh, because I liked it. You, you could know. do five stars or five. if you want. Yeah. That would be cool. But I, I, I encourage everyone listening <laughs> to join me and, and uh, write this review. Uh, let's let's make this book a big hit on Amazon. Yeah, you know it's it's banned in the UK now. Like they wouldn't print it over there. That's always was, a big deal when know, you get banned. That's I know. Like, I'm excited. It's yeah. banned. I just found out just recently. Um, so North America is really, um, you know, the place to get it. So <laughs> you and Salinger. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the list. Banned. With, yeah, yeah. Banned right. books, um, which is exciting. Yeah. of course. And uh, yeah, we were just. I was just in Boston Freedom Rally, which you know, hometown event, a lot of fun. 
uh, sold some books, signed some books, uh, spoke on stage, talked about you know High Times Investor. You were shouting out High Times. I That's know right. you were talking about the TV High Times Investor dot high com time, and TV the TV dot High Times dot com. Which yeah, is, yeah, I talked about that because people of you- can still invest. Yeah, and the the High Times TV thing is pretty cool. It's going to yeah. be a big deal. I think a lot of YouTubers were there. You know, Davin Granny and. Uh, a lot of the people who are out there, you know, with their YouTube channels and some of them got shut down. So uh, some of them have switched over to High Times TV. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Which we'll is take pretty em. rad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on there. You're on there. We're on there. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm on there? Well, your work. Oh, my work. Yes, your work. My work speaks for itself, Dan. Not so much. You, you're not so much your face, though. That's fine. That's best for everybody. You've got a face for podcasting. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Boston was great. I'll be in Maine. Uh, if people are listening and interested in Maine, I'll be in Portland, Maine, October 6th and 7th for uh, NECAN. That's the New England Cannabis Convention. I'll be at the Sweet Leaf booth uh, all weekend long, and I'll be uh, signing books, selling books there. Um, and I'm doing a grow panel uh, at 1 p.m. on Sunday, October 7th, Portland, Maine. So come through. It's at the Portland Sports Complex uh, again, there's information on my social media and blah, blah, blah. All right. That was a really good episode of Danko Tracker. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, Most importantly, though, Amazon book reviews. Definitely. If I'm doing want, it right now. If you want to get my attention, you can get my attention there. All right. Yes. Um, we have a really interesting interview. One of uh, a grower that, that you hold in very high regard and have known for a long time. He stopped by the office and uh, we spoke for about a half hour with Mel Frank. That's right. And uh, yeah. A legend, uh, cannabis author, uh, photographer, and he's been doing this for over 50 years, uh, cultivation and reportage. (laughs) And uh, he's got a photo exhibit that's amazing called When We Were Criminals. It's here in New York right now until uh, I think November or something. But anyway, check it out. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get to that interview when, when we get back from break. All right, you guys, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you want to grow. And if you really want to grow, you should get your, your hands on a BC Northern Lights grow box. You can check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. They are a beloved sponsor of the show. They make incredible grow boxes that are solid, built to last, uh, harvest a lot of weed out of. And you can contact them seven days a week at 888-236-1266. Check him out at bcnorthernlights.com. Be sure to tell them that the Free Weed Podcast sent you and Danny Danko sent you from here. And uh, there's special deals that they're offering for our listeners only. So check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. And thank you to them for sponsoring the show. All right, welcome back, and we are truly blessed and honored to have an amazing special guest in the studio today, uh, the great Grow author, uh, Mr. Mel Frank. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are familiar, you know, with Ed and, and Jorge, and sometimes a little less familiar with mm-hmm. your work, but you really were there at the beginning of, yes. of uh, Cultivation Publishing. Um, can can you talk a little bit about, uh, I guess maybe uh, a little bit about your life or your early life and uh, and I, I guess uh, how you got involved in cannabis to begin with? All right. Uh, well, uh, 
I was in the service uh, 1963 to 1967. Uh, I joined the Navy at a time when uh, the draft was still still here. There was nobody was burning bras or or, or draft cards. And uh, when I got out in '67, I moved to New York City, which I had been to New York City a number of times, and uh, fell in quite luckily to a seven-room apartment. I started smoking marijuana on the Christmas break, '67 uh, and '68. And uh, when I first went out and bought my first lid of Mexican grass, it was filled with seeds and stems. And after a few, couple more months, I would say, I, I decided to start growing marijuana. And I first grew them under four-foot fluorescent lamps. I was fortunate to have a seven-room apartment in New York City where I had a spare room, a small spare room, and was able to do that. I didn't know anything about growing marijuana, but I had grown a lot of plants. And uh, I knew how to grow plants under fluorescent lights. I had never grown a field crop before, though, and I knew it was a field crop. So what I did, rather than being in pots, I went out and rescued some boards from construction sites and built a, a frame, uh, lined it with plastic, and filled it with soil and sand from construction sites uh, and started growing plants. <laughs> and it evolved over time. I was there. I grew for another six years there. And I eventually went to pots simply because they were movable. Uh, and if one plant outgrew another by a lot, I could just move the plants around tilt the fluorescent lights, and I went from four-foot fluorescence to eventually putting uh, just the tubes on a uh, four-by-eight plywood and uh, raised and lowered it, had the, the uh, transformers on the side, the ballasts on the side so they wouldn't have weight, and uh, that's how I grew with six eight-foot fluorescence. <laughs> Amazing, and that's 50 years ago your cultivation career began. Yes. 67. Yeah, right. Uh, and then uh, at some point you started going outdoors? No, that was, that was later. Okay. But uh, how I got into actually growing and how this career happened to me, because it really did happen to me rather than me seeking it, was uh, I, had, I had finished uh, uh, working in, in Montauk. I had run a, a youth hostel up there in a, a mansion. When I came back to New York, I was looking for a way to make my rent. And uh, one of my best friends at the time was a, a journalist, and he said, why don't you write an article and we'll sell it? And that was easy for him to say because he had been <laughs> uh, writing uh, for newspapers uh, ever since he was about 17 years old. So anyway, I, I, I obviously I said, uh, well, for one thing, I don't know how to write and I don't know anything to write about. And he said, well, you just think about it, think about something that you know something about, and I'll help you. And that's exactly what happened. And And once... We finished the article. We took it around. The first place we went to was Rolling Stone. And at that time, there was a New York flyer, which was a section that was specific to New York City that was enclosed with, uh, with the magazine that was sold in New York. And uh, the publisher called me one day and said, uh, you know, we're going to publish your, your article in a two-part series. What name do you want to use? Now, I hadn't thought of using a pseudonym at the time, but I had several cats. I had... Uh, one named Melon, another one named uh, Frank, and another one named Yammy. And I just right on the spot said, uh, well, let's see, uh, Frank Melon, no, that doesn't work. Uh, okay, how about Mel Frank? And I've been Mel Frank ever since. <laughs> uh, and through that, what happened is that Ed Rosenthal was also trying to sell, actually, publicity for himself because he, he was trying to sell 
uh, homegrown kits where he would go to your place with four-inch pots and the four-foot fluorescents and try to set you up for growing marijuana. So the publisher put him in touch with me, and uh, he eventually he, he came over, met me, and within five minutes he said we should write a book together. <laughs> now, I didn't really want to write a book <laughs> with Ed, but he was a very persistent man, and after about a year, we decided to take the article, the two-part article, and we flushed it out a bit, and off Ed went. Uh, he went to the West Coast, and he found a publisher in San Francisco named Level, Level Press that published a little, I think it was a 96-page book uh, that sold for $3.50, and we each made $0.17.5 cents a copy on that book. <laughs> at least when we were paid. <laughs> and was that Marijuana Grower's Guide? That was the, we also didn't name it. The publisher, <laughs> the publisher named it the Marijuana uh, Highest Quality Indoor and Outdoor Grower's Guide, something like that. Right? <laughs> A mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I guess you came out with the actual guide that you co-wrote with Well, Mel? here's what happened. Yeah, well, actually, uh, by the time that book came out, uh, I went to City College of New York, CCNY, and uh, got my BS in biology. Uh, I, I took as much biology as I could. I think I had like 46 credits in biology alone by the time I left. Uh, and once the little book came out, and with becoming more educated in terms of, of uh, botany and microbiology, I really was kind of determined to write a really good book. The little book was kind of embarrassing to me at that time. <laughs> so uh, I spent... Uh, another year or two, along, along with Ed, going to libraries, uh, especially botanical libraries, with pockets full of nickels, because we needed to use the photocopy machine. You didn't have the internet, and so you would go to a library and look up uh, papers, and we would use keywords like hemp and marijuana and uh, THC, uh, anything that might be related, cannabis, of course, uh, to marijuana and uh, to try to find out, try to learn as much as we could about it. And fortunately at that time also the U.S. government was quite concerned with the youth of America smoking pot that they needed to find out what it was exactly and how it might affect us. And uh, that started uh, their research program at the University of Mississippi at Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, so they put out a lot about the uh, phytochemistry uh, you know, THC and CBD and CBC and all the different uh, cannabinoids were being discovered and identified, characterized. So there was a lot of information about that, but in terms of pure growing, there was almost nothing. Uh, I think I found only a couple of uh, papers. One was from 1893 on growing hemp, and another one I think was from 1913 on hemp, and uh, you know, just basically growing it like corn. Uh, anyway, I mean, <laughs> then, then proceeded to write the book. Yeah. I, moved, I moved to California. Uh, we settled in, in uh, Oakland, I, briefly in San Francisco and Berkeley, and then in Oakland, and created a, a little greenhouse in the back. Took a, the roof off of a, a large uh, shed and made a little greenhouse and started to grow all different kinds of land races. Now, did you have any sort of like political motivation for you know getting this information out? Was it you know uh, purely financial? Was it just something? no? Actually, the financial part was—I uh, don't <laughs> think I ever really thought about that very much. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was political. I mean, we knew that the entire story of cannabis was total bullshit, 
and uh, you know, uh, we thought we thought everybody should be smoking marijuana. <laughs> the world would be in a much better place. And did you think at the time that legalization was around the corner? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would say about uh, seventy six, seventy seven. Uh, we thought it would probably be legal by nineteen eighty to some extent, at least decriminalized, because that's the way the states were going. Carter was in office. Uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, some studies that had been done that basically said that decriminalizing it is more dangerous than having it uh, uh, available. But uh, then everything changed in, in 1980. Reagan came in. Rockefeller came out with his determinate sentences, you know, put you away for 20 years, 30 years that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it all fell apart in terms of the momentum to legalize or at least decriminalize marijuana. And then it progressively got worse in the 80s, right up to Operation Green Merchant, if you remember that, in the late 80s, mm-hmm. where basically they were just coming in and confiscating people's property without, without arresting them. Yeah, and, and basically, you know, the Just Say No era, the crack right. epidemic, uh, AIDS, all these things sort of... Uh, kind of conspired against our cause uh, and you know we look back on it as sort of like a dark ages but then again there's there's a certain amount of nostalgia as well to that sure. era and you um, shot some incredible photos during that time right. um, which are now in an art exhibition a, a photography exhibition yes. that you're doing called When We Were Criminals right? That's right. And those were shot on like a, a, a nice Leica camera yes. and <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about like how that how that developed. Right. Well, uh, my photography came about out of necessity because uh, I couldn't find any photographs. And when the deluxe, the first edition of deluxe came out, I I really disliked the cover photograph. I I just didn't think it was a very good photograph and not a very good representation of what marijuana could look like, which I thought was particularly beautiful. So I I started taking photographs, and then I happened to have a brother-in-law who. Uh, taught photography at the University of Kutztown for about 40 years. And I told him at one point, uh, you know, I'd like to upgrade my, my little Olympus. And uh, in a couple of weeks, he called me and he said, you can get a whole set of Leicas from somebody I know, five lenses in the body. And, you know, that time the lenses were probably, you know, over $1,000 each easily, which is a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these were really the highest quality of lenses that were, were out at the time. Uh, I also had the greenhouse, so I was able to actually shoot some shots where there was no wind and the light was good, rather than when I would go and visit Groves, where it was usually in midday, the harsh sun would be 100 degrees out and the wind would be blowing. It's pretty tough to take good photographs <laughs> in terms of the photographic quality. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I tell people kind of the same story. I became, uh, you know, I shoot photos basically out of necessity in some cases, um, the growers wouldn't want a photographer right. coming with me. They just wanted me alone, and you know I'd have to ride in, in the trunk or right. you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So you certainly yeah. couldn't say, "Oh, I, I got a buddy who's going to take some pictures too." I mean, they're already paranoid about yeah. me being there, and then now you're going to have a guy come take photos. Right. It's, it's just too much for for people to right. handle at the time. Um, exactly. Like one of the themes that uh, I thought they should have in the show in the press release was not a face to be seen. <laughs> because although there is, there are people in a lot of the shots, you never see anybody's face. Right. I and mean, uh, they're proud of right. their work, but they're also, right. you know, scared. Of and, course. And, and, and rightfully right. so. Uh, and, and also, also I, a lot of times I didn't know exactly where I was. 
because I would go to one place and then I would be driven to other places. You know? Yeah, I mean, I tell people too, it's like, it's better not to know. <laughs> you know, I don't want to know because if anything should happen uh, in the future, I don't want them thinking that I had anything to do with it, you right. know, and, exactly. and not knowing is the best way, exactly. you know, you don't have to make anything up. You don't know. So right. uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's important in that in that way. People don't really understand that now because, you know, I recently visited a, a girl in Hawaii and I had to do an FBI background check <laughs> to, to go and visit this place. And I just, you know, I just remember thinking, wow, like have times changed, you know, right. I, in the past, you know, I wouldn't even tell my, you know, my best friend right. where I was going. And now I'm applying with the federal government. <laughs> in order just to exactly. set foot on these pre- on the premises yeah. of these places, yeah. um, and you know, people. Uh, so, let's talk about this exhibit a little bit as well. Um, um, now, these these are indoor photos. They're outdoor photos. They're greenhouses. They're mostly outdoor. Mostly outdoor. And there was a kind of a tradition of gorilla growing outdoor right. at that time. And um, you had even uh, shot a lot of East Coast stuff. I think before you moved out west, right? right? Uh, no, actually, that came after I moved out west. Oh, okay. Uh, what happened is that I, I had a, a, a friend who grew here uh, for a number of years, and every year he would call me and, and beg me to come out and grow with him uh, because they just had more and more problems. For one thing, they didn't have the genetics. They were using, like, Mexican and Colombian seeds, which, of course, uh, in New York uh, usually don't mature before they're devastated by botrytis or something. And he also had a problem with uh, stem borers. He didn't exactly identify what that insect was, but it was a a stem borer. And he told me that uh, the first crop they had, they lost about 15% of it to the stem borers. And each year it increased. To the last year he he grew, they lost about 70% of the crop to stem borers, just devastated them. Anyway, I came and visited in about maybe 80, I think it was 80, and uh, I looked at the place and I thought, God, this is perfect. I could grow a lot of pot here. Uh, he just had a situation about an hour from New York City that I just thought, this is really good. The soil was incredibly rich and beautiful. Uh, it's just something I thought I could, I could do, get away with, let's put it that way. So I went back to, to uh, my little greenhouse in Oakland and I, I bred specifically for this grow. I had Afghani wine, which I was developing at the time, and I, I had, a, at that time, I had about 200 land races, uh, and I had Nigerian, and I had Congolese, which were very strong, very strong, much stronger than anything that any of us had smoked, uh, much stronger than Thai weed, and it really was quite something. Those African sativas. Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I would cross them with Afghani and then back cross them to Afghani uh, so that I would incorporate that short short season with them. And I did the same with Durban Poison. That was another one that I developed, and the Durban was even shorter. So I, I, I went back to New York in 82 with all these hybrids, and we grew, you know, over, over 500 pounds of really high-quality Sensimea. <laughs> uh, Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. At that time, too, it's just like the yeah. heat of the battle. Yep. And, uh, wow, that's really... Yeah, I went out there, and I... I, I uh, you know, I sexed all the plants. All, all I had all the males out. I kept some of the males for breeding, which I did that summer also. But, uh, you know, just went out, looked at pre-flowers, got them all out, went through the whole crop. Uh, it was about seven, seven uh, it was in seven different little sections in the same area that we did this in. Uh, 
So, you know, and that worked only, out we're really only well. We're talking a couple of hours tops from New York City, right? Like just uh, a little, uh, about an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right up the Taconic, yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't tell you exactly where it was because I never went to a town. I never went to a gas station. I never went to anything up there because I didn't want me with my California plates and my beard and long hair. <laughs> attracting any attention. So yeah. you would just use landmarks and things to to know where you were yeah. going. And yeah. Interesting, right. Right. interesting. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your thoughts just kind of on th how things have changed. Because, I mean, you're talking about a 50-year a career right. in cultivation, uh, growing, writing, f uh, uh, you know, taking mm -hmm. pictures. Um, tell me a little bit about, like, you know, just where things are now and what your thoughts are on, on now and, and well, where they're going. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing uh, uh, what's going on now because now we're right on the, the beginning of really being able to do scientific work, uh, particularly on the terpenes. Uh, the the potency of pot at this point to me is uh, – there's no point in really it being much more potent. And when you have stuff that's anywhere near 20, you know, 20% uh, THC, to me, when I'm, when I'm breeding now, I'm looking at the overall uh, effect of the terpenes on it. You know, I want a great nose. Uh, I want uh, certain highs. Uh, and, and so that's what I work on. But really what I think the the huge part of the whole cannabis revolution here is about the medical aspects, really, uh, because the cannabinoids are, are, to me, are are unique in 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 medicine in that the side effects are are so benign uh, compared to the uh, single molecule uh, stuff that's put out by uh, the pharmacology companies. I mean, all you have to do is watch TV and listen to a a pharmaceutical ad for their, and uh, they tell you what it does, and then they spend almost all of the entire minute telling you what it will do to you in terms it may kill you, give you a heart attack, you know, <laughs> all those things, and it just goes on and on as fast as the speaker can speak. And with marijuana, you don't have that at all. I mean, CBD doesn't even get you high. All it does is the only effect you may feel is that it takes away your anxiety. And then if you have spasms or migraines and other different ailments, it, it works wonderfully. So I think that once the uh, cannabinoids are sorted out and they begin to actually do real experiments on, on uh, you know, what, what maladies these can alleviate, I, I think that CBD would probably have real applications in uh, uh, arthritis uh, because so, so many diseases are really inflammations of the body, and the body isn't quite working the way it should be working, and that includes, you know, seizures and spasms and arthritis. Uh, all those things are, are, are really affected quite profoundly by the cannabinoids. So I think the sorting out of, of that and the development of new, new drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, or even whole plant, if we know how to do this, uh, I think that's really what it's all about. The, the potency... And the terpenes, you know, we can test for all that stuff now. You can do selective breeding. Uh, and then you have everything else has been de developed. The uh, autoflowers, the feminized seeds. Uh, pretty much you can go with all, all different ways with this. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten to travel and, and, and visit some of the maybe the origin countries of any of these strains? No, no I, I never did that. At, uh, my, uh, my stuff principally came from 
uh, people going on the hippie ha- hashish trail. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Afghanistan. Uh, yeah. and In the 60s and the 70s, uh, before the political upheaval in the East, uh, you know, the hippies were basically tra- world travelers, and they would go to Afghanistan and sit down with Afghanis and smoke hash and bring back seeds. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, Afghani one, which I've heard a lot of origin stories about, I'll tell you the true story about it, okay? Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Afghani one came to, to uh, Sonoma County, uh, in 1978, via six seeds that one of the local people, or a couple, mailed back. They had gone to Afghanistan to uh, for travel, you know, but they also wanted to send back seeds, and they couldn't get any seeds until the last night they were in Kabul. They just bought some, some pod on the street, and it had six seeds in it, and they sent it back. Those six seeds went to a, the local master grower, who then produced a whole bunch of seeds, and I got those seeds and started growing Afghani one in 1979. Durban poison actually came from Amsterdam before Amsterdam was ever anything. Hmm. That, that, that came, I think, in, in 78 or 79. Ed went there, bought some pot, and brought it back with, with Durban poison seeds, and I de- developed that. The Afghani one was already good. It was pretty consistent. So... Uh, how how I, I bred at the time was was primarily, it was smoke testing. I used to roll joints, number them, give them to friends, and they would give me an evaluation. And of course, it was my own evaluation, and my girlfriend, who was also very good at this, uh, and evaluated what was the most potent. The Durban was, was all over the place. I mean, there was stuff that was very mediocre to stuff that was quite good. And I, I selected two from the original seeds I got, and that that's what uh, Durban poison came from. Right, and some of that ended up going back to Amsterdam, right? To well, with sort that, of fuel what, the happened, seed. what happened is, is I also I knew Skunkman Sam at the time and also Rob Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Skunkman got busted uh, for the second time for growing pot. And, uh, you know, he was married with two little girls, and uh, he, needed to, uh, he needed to get out of the country, which mm-hmm. he did. He, he left. He still, you know, he still lives in Amsterdam. But he brought... Five, five varieties. He brought haze, which he, he was working on. He brought skunk number one, which he was working on. He brought my Afghani one. He brought my Durban poison. And he got Hindu Kush from, I don't know who he got that from. But he brought those five to Amsterdam, and that started the entire seed industry from those five strains. <laughs> and for quite a while, anything that you got from Amsterdam had genetics from those five in them. And, of course, after they you know, got into it and developed it. Of course, the Dutch are great, uh, great people with tulips and marijuana, <laughs> and and uh, you know they they brought in uh, new genetics to that too. But I I can remember being there for uh, judging in a, a cup. I think it was in '94 and '96, and I actually complained about that. That you know, where are all the great African stuff here? You know, where's all the great stuff from the Middle East? You know, why are you still using the same stuff that came from California? Mm-hmm. You know, but, right, it seemed yeah. a little like it could it could 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 have gotten bottlenecked and and did yeah. at, at a yeah. certain time right. because they were so limited right. in uh, original genetic material. Right. Um, did you know the Hayes brothers? No, I didn't. No, okay. no. Um, now, what about concentrates? You mentioned hashish. Obviously, there's been you know thousands of years of tradition of hash making, but right. that's changed a lot recently with you know the you right. know solvents and 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 solventless in general. And right. uh, what what are your thoughts on where concentrates are going these days? Well, uh, I'd like to see better whole plant concentrates than what I've experienced. Uh, 
as far as I know, most of, most of the, the concentrates that you see in the vape pens and everything, basically it's an a- extraction of, of the cannabinoids, and then uh, because during the process, the terpenes are extracted differently than the, than the uh, uh, let's put it this way, the terpenes and the cannabinoids are not extracted together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens is that artificial, not artificial, but terpenes, commercial terpenes are then added back to try to mimic what the original uh, was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those terpenes are actually a little different than what they are in the plant, even though limonene is limonene. One comes from lemons and one, one is in, in uh, marijuana. And there are all different slight differences in these. And so I don't think that you get the whole plant effect of the original plant. Uh, with that. And also, what bothered me the first time I, I smoked uh, the vape pens was that they affected my lungs. Uh, uh, certain, certain ones are, are, are lung irritants. And uh, that was my complaint to the people who produced it, who were asking my opinion. I told them, you've got too many terpenes in there. They're bothering my lungs. So they did uh, take it down a bit. And they've gotten a lot better at it. I mean, they really have. Uh, the convenience of it is incredible. I mean, you take a, your pen anywhere, uh, right? Right. I mean, Subway platforms. You know, so my, it's uh, not like a, that's my key, right? But I'm still, you know, I, I still like to smoke a joint. The only thing that comes uh, that's comparable is really rosin, yeah. right? You get a nice full thing from a rosin, so mm-hmm. that's good too. Right. Um, now, how can people, uh, you know, a learn more uh, about you and your mm-hmm. work? Uh, purchase books. Right. Uh, check, learn more about this this exhibit because this exhibit was in Los Angeles and right now it's in New right. York, uh, basically through the almost through the end of October. Right. Uh, and then you also have Instagram and, and all that. So I do have know. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram is Mel Frank four twenty. Uh, I think it is is over forty thousand followers. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. The gallery shows. Uh, I mean, it, it turns out I love them. What happened is that I have a photographer artist in my neighborhood who I introduced to growing marijuana. And uh, he started following me on Instagram and looked and saw that I had all these archival film photographs. And he downloaded about 20 and brought them to a gallery that he had some association with. And the gallery director, uh, the gallery owner actually, likes to put on shows that have a cultural basis. Like he did a show on uh, surfing, surfers, and did another show on skateboarding. Mm-hmm. So uh, this fit into that. You know, there's a marijuana, this is a subculture, you know, and I had all these pretty pictures. And so they went ahead and they did that. And so, yeah, so the, these are fine art prints. They're not cheap. I think they begin at about $2,000. Wow. Uh, but they're beautifully done. They're done as well as they possibly can be. It sounds perfect for some of these dispensary owners who are, you know, having, <laughs> having trouble, you know, putting cash in the bank. And right. they can beautify their uh, oh, absolutely. their spaces yeah. and uh, and also invest in a, yeah. an incredible piece of uh, original artwork. Yes. Um, and I love that it's called When We Were Criminals, too, because, right. you know, people forget that this you know, subculture or this, you know, industry or this community right. is from the underground. It sure is. And <laughs> the underground, you know, salutes you yeah. for, you know, reminding people where we come from. Right. You know, and, and, and what 
you know, where we are, who we are, yes. you know, and this industry and, and all these corporations that are coming in, you know, they need us more than we need them. And yeah. we're happy to go back to the underground if we have to, right? I mean, yeah. that's where we came from. That's where this right. industry grew. And now th that there's, you know, the, you hear about them turning their back on, on the industry. Mm -hmm. And then you hear patients saying, oh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a patient, I'm not a criminal, all these things. It's like, hey, you know, let's remember our right. roots. Let's remember the people who yeah. were locked up, the people who were exactly. killed. Exactly. The shame of it all is is uh, the number of lives that were destroyed or mm -hmm. are really seriously impacted. Or don't forget, kids were taken away from parents for growing marijuana. Yeah. I oh. mean, the parents were, ta <laughs> were parents growing were the marijuana. The kids were taken away. Kids were taken really away. Horrible. I yeah. mean, dogs and animals yeah. were killed. Right. Just the amount of injustices is yeah. just staggering. Yeah. And it still goes on today, but you know, luckily we're sort of pulling out of that. But right. it's 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 so important to remember that. And right. so you know, and and you have a fifty-year history of that. Well, we salute you, <laughs> yeah. at, you know, yeah. as an industry okay. and a culture for for you know. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show, right. and thank you for all your work. Uh, we really appreciate it. Right, so we're back, and uh, yeah, interesting uh, chat there with Mr. Mel Frank. Yeah, a couple uh, of a uh, couple of mass holes there. <laughs> that's right, chatting it up. That's right, and uh, definitely check out the exhibit when you get a chance. When we were criminals, uh, Ben Ruby Gallery in New York right now. It was in L.A., and it'll hopefully come to wherever you are. Very cool. We've we've kind of been doing like our uh, legend series here. We've had Ed and and Jorge and now Mel Frank, Kyle Cushman. That's it's been, right. It's been interesting. That's kind of the Mount Rushmore right there of uh, of cultivation. Yeah. As far as you know. Yeah. Just to grow authors of of uh, of that world. We're bringing. I mean, the I could heat. think of a. I could definitely think of a few more, but those are definitely uh, worthy names. The big names. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the cultivation section. This is the cultivation section. Yeah. And speaking of that, it has been um, at least a fortnight, That's I would right. say. So we should probably uh, do a strain. Strain of the fortnight. Uh, this fortnight's strain is Kush Mountains from Cannabiotics. It uh, is also the December cover of our December uh, issue, the top 10 strains of the year. Uh, and it's Cannabiotics. So this was bred by JB. Uh, at Cannabiotics, which if you're anywhere in the Southern California or Nevada area, you probably know about because it's uh, fireweed that's grown uh, in, you know, pretty large uh, quantities uh, and still maintains quality, which is, you know, not easy to do. And those guys know how to do it. And it starts with genetics. Um, JB and Nima, um, they won the cup, actually the World Cup, which is a combination of you know all the Cannabis Cup winners enter the World Cup, and they won uh, best hybrid, uh, first place in 2018 for this strain, the Kush Mountains. Um, it's a combo. It's a cross between uh, White Walker OG, and if, if people remember the White Walker, uh, incredible concentrates made from that, and uh, just a amazing representation of the OG Kush. Um, so yeah, the White Walker and uh, a Cannabiotics exclusive called Blue Flame OG. So um, JB crossed those and then he pheno hunted through basically thousands and thousands of offspring for, of those seeds to find um, the keepers um, for this particular one, the most frosty uh, Kush Mountains. Um, to be this. And so I, when I asked him about it, um, as far as grow wise, he said it has a tendency to golf ball all the way up the plant, um, but it will chunk out 
with a cool environment and a smart feeding schedule. So, um, you know, like all cushes, it it's a little finicky when it comes to the feeding thing. Um, so err on the side of caution with that. And, uh, you know, keep it nice and cool, and you can get a lot out of Kush Mountains. If you want to learn more about it, uh, you can go to C-Biotics uh, with an X, C-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Uh, the flowering time is nine to ten weeks. I say go closer to the ten weeks uh, for for best results. So Kush Mountains is the strain of the Fortnite, and that is from Cannabiotics. Shout Very out to cool, JB. Yeah. We want we're going to get him on the show sometime soon to talk about uh, some of the breeding practices and some of the growth that they, that they do on a large scale. Um, because it's very interesting, and they they really do manage to get uh, incredible terp profiles uh, in large rooms. Yeah, JB and Nima, they were both um, part of our 100 most influential people in pot from That's earlier right. this year, the May issue. So, Cannabiotics yeah. is a is a great company. Yeah, good absolutely. pot. Our cover model, as you mentioned, for December. Yeah. Okay, so that was the strain of the fortnight. We're uh, we're glad to be back on track with that. And uh, now, usually, we would do a cultivation tip. Yep. So would you like to do that? Yeah, I'm just going to do basic watering because this is an important one. Um, you know, uh, you want to mix your water so it's, uh, you know, basically at room temperature. You don't want your water to be cold or too warm uh, and shock your roots. So room temperature is good, you know, 72, 74. Uh, mix your nutrients first. Uh, you know, five gallon, you know, containers are good if you're just, you know, hand watering a few plants, uh, but mix it all up, uh, and then check the pH and the PPMs and all that, um, after it's all mixed and use your pH up or down, uh, you know, after you've added newts to your solution, then, uh, you know, when you're watering, you know, you should really pay attention to how the water is absorbed into your mix. Uh, if it's a soilless mix or if it's, um, you know, cocoa or whatever, um, if the water sits on top for a long time and kind of doesn't penetrate that top crust, uh, you have an, an issue there. Um, and you need to, you know, maybe add a drop of uh, a dishwashing liquid, uh, you know, organic dishwashing liquid, but just barely a drop uh, to that to, to change the, the, you know, to soften the water basically. Because um, what, ha- what you have is water that's sitting on top, and it can basically seep through without really wetting your 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 medium. It just finds a way to kind of capillary action, work its way down, um, and the water will come out the bottom, and you'll think that you watered, and you didn't. You'll still have dry pockets in there and, and, and a whole dry area. So, um, And that's an important thing because, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, end up with those dry pockets and don't understand why their plants are, are not thriving. Um, test the water at the, after it comes out of the bottom as well. You know, that tells you a lot about it. If it's really dark, um, you know, and, and you're starting to see leaf burn, leaf tip burn and stuff, you're overfeeding and you need to just use plain water. Um, that's pretty much, you know, the watering in general. I mean, uh, you can water plants from below, uh, and that's a, a good thing, especially if you have, uh, um, you know, an issue with uh, fungus gnats because they kind of live in that top layer, the top inch or two of uh, wet soil mix. But uh, but there's not a lot of roots in that area, so it's just kind of like this moist home for them. And they, they, they live in there and they fly around. And if you want to 
water from below and use capillary action to sort of soak the water up into your containers, um, you can avoid, you know, watering from above and causing that, that home for them, that moist area. So um, those are some tips on watering and, uh, you know, flushing, of course. Again, you don't want to use very cold or very, very hot water when you do that. So it's, a, it's an important thing. A lot of people shock their roots um, with really cold, cold water. All right. Don't shock those roots. That was some uh, some tips on proper watering. Uh, what do you say we do some um, some listener questions about cultivation answered by you? Let's do it. Danny Danko. Uh, if you have a question that you'd like to be answered on this show, you could reach us by email. Uh, that's freeweed at hightimes.com. We're also on Twitter. He is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike G underscore HT. And uh, let's do some questions. So Mike writes, I'm starting a five-plant grow in cocoa core uh, in a 4x4 tent. Will a 1,000-watt light uh, be too much for five plants? Uh, wow, that's a good question. It's pretty much the limit. Basically, 4x4 four four, uh, is a fairly you know small footprint for, for a 1,000-watt light. Uh, typically, you know, a 5x5 five five space uh, is kind of more desirable and has more, more room, so there's less heat buildup. But you can use a thousand watt light in a four by four as long as you can pump out the heat. So I would recommend having that be, uh, you know, uh, air cooled light that you're pulling heat right off the bulb uh, out of your tent uh, immediately, so that you're not letting that heat build up in the room. Um, and in that case, if you can keep the temperature down in the space, you're going to get a tremendous rate of growth in that room with a thousand watt light in a four by four tent. I mean. Uh, it is like driving a Ferrari, though. You're you're gonna need to pull that heat out, um, and you're gonna need to make sure the the, uh, the light's not too close to your plants um, because it's really strong. Um, so you know, be sure to check the temperature right at uh, canopy level. All right, sounds good. We hope that helps, Mike. And uh, let's move on to JP, who writes: uh, I just harvested an indoor plant. Um, it has grown into the various size pots that I've used along the way from February. Uh, when I grabbed the stump of the plant after harvest, the root appeared to not have spread out into the 10-gallon pot. It still looked like the 3-gallon pot, uh, the three-gallon root-bound pot, but it didn't look like the roots had spread out. Should I have broken or spread the root ball open some when I planted it into the 10-gallon pot? Uh, well, the answer is yes. Uh... If when you are transplanting, it is good, it is important to loosen the root ball a bit, uh, because especially if it's quite root bound, um, and then you put it into the new container, it won't actually take to the new soil, uh, and it'll stay in that in that area because it's already so root bound. It's just not um, finding its way out of that you know bound in area. Um, so anything you can do um, gently to sort of loosen that up. And again, when you transplant, you want to wet that soil first before you even pull it out of its original container um, to make sure that stays intact, that whole root ball. Then you sort of loosen the roots there, put them into your your newer container, and water that in um, so that those roots immediately sort of realize that they're in a bigger container and start to extend outwardly. And you should be able to see that the roots will grow into the, your your new soil rather than staying in that uh, original sort of container size. All right. Thank you, JP, for that question. And uh, let's move on to Don. 
And Don, he writes, uh, I recently found this show and I've listened to over 50 episodes so far. It is by far the best cannabis podcast. Keep up the great work. Wow. Now, normally I don't read that, but it's sort of representative of some of these questions that people have been um, really enjoying the back issue, back episodes, I guess, of the podcast. So nice. Pat on the back. Uh, Don is also from Massachusetts. He says he started growing on December 15th, 2016, when it became legal. My question is, what do you think about the uh, Bovida humidity packs while curing? And if I use them, what humidity should I use? Hmm. Okay, the Bovida. Uh, yeah, you know, I think if you're curing properly, you don't need the humidity packs because, uh, you know, uh, you should have the proper humidity in inside your jar and inside your space. Uh, but if you've gone too far uh, and you've gone to the point where it's bone dry, um, then the humidity back packs will bring it back to uh, where you need to be. So the humidity packs to me are a great way to sort of re-moisten uh, cannabis that's too dry. But ideally, in my opinion, um, you should be able to cure it to the proper dryness and sort of, you know, stop it there and keep it at that for, you know, at least long enough until you get to smoking it. Now, if you have a large amount and it does dry out, it's great to add those uh, bovitas and that'll uh, bring some humidity back uh, to that dried out sort of, you know, dust or whatever. But in my opinion, if you dry and cure properly, you, you don't need the humidity packs. Excellent. All right. So thank you, Don, for raising that question. This is an interesting one. It's from Bobby V, who writes, um, My question is, what is your preferred method of making butter? Uh, I've started out by sautéing plant material in butter on the lowest temp possible for a half hour, and that worked really well. I just recently discovered how uh, boiling the plant material and butter in water on a low simmer for three hours worked pretty well. And just a few days ago, I found out that you can uh, put the plant material and butter in a mason jar and place the mason jar inside a low simmering water, which I have not yet tried. Of those methods, which is your favorite and are there any I'm unaware of? <laughs> um, well, my preferred method is to get butter from someone who's already made it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, because it's a long, tedious process. And it does um, sort of if you're just cooking it on the stove, it does create uh, a certain uh, smell in your apartment. Yeah. Uh, that can permeate, um, but uh, I do love the magical butter machine. Uh, the magical butter machine uh, is an incredible tool that is just plug and play. I'd like to give one of those away, though. We do have a couple of those laying around, we and I'd love to give one, one away. Yeah. Well, it's cool because if you're not necessarily uh, inclined to be uh, you know, in the kitchen, you just toss everything in this machine, and it makes really good butter for you. Right, right. It makes butter. It makes uh, tinctures. It makes gummies. It makes uh, it makes oils, infused oils. You can do a lot with it, and it's basically like you just uh, – it's pretty incredible. It's like uh, the instant pot for pot. Yeah. We <laughs> should really give is. one away. Yeah, let's give, it, let's give one of them away. Uh, you know what? I'm going to get uh, get in touch with the magical butter people if any of you guys are listening. Let's do a giveaway. If anybody's listening who has, you know, cannabis companies and, you know, sells seeds or sells uh, grow equipment or whatever it might be, you know. Uh, we'll give it away. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> we'll, we'd be happy to give your, your, your stuff away to our, our listeners. So get in touch with us. Uh, let us know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, buy so a bunch of my books and give those away. There you go. With your products. Indeed. Um, for beginner growers. 
so yeah, we'll what we'll do is we'll figure out how to do a contest and we'll we'll give the magical butter machine away on the the uh, next maybe the next episode, a future episode. Yes. But of those methods that he mentioned, does one uh, stick out to you? Do you prefer one over the other, or are you just a someone else make the butter for me guy? Uh, I prefer slow and low. I think uh, you know if you're going to cook it directly in the butter on the stove, uh, you want to simmer it as as low heat for a long period of time as possible um three hours you know is reasonable i think the machine does it for you uh, which makes it much easier but if you do just want to do it on the stove yourself um low and slow that's the way like the beastie boys said (laughs) um yeah and on an unrelated note i need reviews on amazon (laughs) for my book so get on there and please help me out all right uh thank you bobby v uh let's do Let's do one more here. Uh, okay. This just came in. It's from Anonymous420. It says, uh, hi, Danko and Mike. Uh, I grow a garden every year. I have a green thumb. I live near Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so hopefully you're okay with the uh, hurricane and everything. Um, I was needing advice for an outdoor grow. I don't mind growing different strains. My wife likes just about anything. I, on the other hand, get paranoid. I have anxiety, and I would like to work on getting off my prescription. So what do you recommend for me to grow in that climate? Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, I would say something with CBD would be ideal if, if it's anxiety um, and that's what you're, you know, you're looking to, uh, to bring down. I mean, I'd, I'd have paranoia and anxiety myself, too, in North Carolina uh, growing weed. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. so... Um, Actually, you know, looking at this uh, top 10 strains, I have Humboldt Seed Organization um, with Green Crack CBD. Not my favorite strain name, but they have uh, CBD versions of a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, Humboldt County uh, stalwart strains. So check out HumboldtSeeds.net for a variety of different uh, CBD-rich strains that will grow really well in your area. Um, some feminized, some autoflowering, lots of different uh, options there. So, um, yeah, something with CBD, though, even if you don't go with that company in particular, um, you know, get something that has, you know, the right ratio for you of CBD to THC. All right. That sounds good to me. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, if you have a question that you would like Dan to answer on the show, email us, uh, freeweed at hightimes.com. Also, you can get us on Twitter. He is much more involved and will check more regularly, so that's at Danny Danko. I will not, but you could try me anyway, at MikeG underscore HT. What do you say we take a little break and then come back and wrap it up? Let's do it. All right, so I guess it's time we wrap it up with Raw, episode number 102. Thank you to Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you, of course, to Mr. Mel Frank, uh, James Goodwin. Uh, thank you, sir, and uh, continued great success to you. Uh, yeah. Check out my book on Amazon. <laughs> Give it a review. Did you write a book? I did. Oh, congrats. It's a beginner grow book, uh-huh. and we happen to have some beginner grow listeners. So we do. It's a good match. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, it's on Amazon. So check that out. Dan wrote a book, everybody. <laughs> it's on eBay, too, if you want it signed. Nice. He'll personalize it. That's right. So, yeah, check that out. Uh, check out the uh, November and then December issues of High Times. We're really That's proud right. of those two. Yeah. Still putting that magazine out. That's and right. And HighTimesInvestor.com if you want to be a investor. part of uh, our future. 
That's right. Yeah. It's exciting. And tv.hightimes.com if you're sick of getting kicked off of YouTube and demonetized. Yeah, that's also a thing. Nobody likes that. Nope. Demonetized? <laughs> that does not awful. sound yeah, – yeah, that sounds awful. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're trying to re-monetize. Right. That's right. Uh, episode number 102. Thank you, Mike, my co-host, my producer, my angel. <laughs> Should we put this one in the books? Yeah, it's only going to go downhill from here. So, so we've wrapped it up with Raw. I think it's it's time to put this one in the books. You hang up first. <laughs>